You're listening to Discriminology, the podcast that aims to dismantle discrimination one discussion at a time. Produced by Launchpad 516 Studios with your host Malik Silau, Steve Kramer, and Sydney Penn. Welcome back to the Discriminology Podcast and part two of the Paris Massacre episode. If you haven't listened to part one or need a refresher, feel free to refer back to our previous episode. Without any further ado, let's jump back into the content. Yeah, the back to back to your point about the Enlightenment, the parallels between our countries, and I'm, and I'm and I'm of course we're only focusing on France and, and the United States, but this is this is happening everywhere. The parallels are unbelievable. They're Not mind blowing. Yeah. The parallels are believable, and the parallels are yeah. It it's incredible. This idea that you brought up of replacement. Uh, we're having the exact same talk here about about being replaced. The the white power structure feels like they're being replaced. They feel like they're being put upon. Your example of this this individual who's a millionaire. What's what are they taking from you? What have you actually lost? You seem to be doing pretty good. And why are you angry? You're 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 angry because these these ideas are out there that are just simply not true, but you're believing them and you're believing that if you don't do anything about it, you're going to lose everything. And I, and the white power structure here in the United States is going through the same thing. The, the march in Charlottesville where, where they drove through the crowd and they, and they killed, they killed that woman. They were chanting, you Jews will not replace us. I'm like, well, <laughs> which Jews are in Charlotte, Virginia? Like, what are you talking about? So, there's there's actually you know 12 million Jews all right. over the world so they can't replace right. anybody yeah. the only where, the only place where they replace is in Israel which is another problem another colonial deep problem for the Middle East um, but it's right not the US. I didn't I didn't get the message I don't know who I'm replacing I'm just kind of sitting here but um, but yes so exactly that where they're replacing is in is in Palestine it's in it's in it's there it's not nobody's going into Virginia and trying to get get rid of you white people you're pretty much in charge so i i'm i am absolutely fascinated by everything that you're telling us because we're living it just with different groups of people we're living the exact same existence yeah. and the exact same set of circumstances just with different yes. groups it's 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 unbelievable I'll, I'll stick with unbelievable it's unbelievably consistent to a point where it, it, it seems like there's just like like there's signs to it like if these if these things occur it doesn't necessarily matter the particular group that you're referring to like this is the kind of discourse and 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 misalignment that's going to happen but i i too am kind of blown away by how and and, and melissa as you know like our our podcast is generally very u.s centric you start to think that this that these things are only happening in the united states so i guess i'm, I'm kind of taking a step back that this is this is very consistent. Well, you know, I guess if, if a lot of people heard me in France, they, they would they would probably burn me or, you know, launch a winch hunt because A, I'm ungrateful. You know, I benefited from the French system and all right. Um, again, as James Baldwin said, if I'm harder with America, it's because I'm I an American and I love the country and I can't stand to look at it. Uh, think, think into the water like that, like ruining is all the more. So can you imagine for me as a, as a French citizen, it's the same. And one thing that makes for me France even worse than the United States is the even higher level of hypocrisy because we have columnists and journalists and intellectuals moaning about America every day, but look at what's happening there. And they had Trump, blah, 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 blah. while it's, we're doing exactly the same in the, you know, small, mm. unrelevant, um, you know, even getting out of its own power, sort of small country, we, sh we could put all our energy into a building a stronger European Union or giving up our UN security uh, seat for the EU so that we can make progress mm. regarding climate change. But no, we're so happy being entitled, criticizing the rest of the world and uh, denying our own internal problem. There are every day on French media conversation about how American ideas are invading. Last weekend, I listened to a talk on the main radio, France Culture, uh, which is sort of the equivalent of NPR, but a little bit more, um, you know, high thinking of itself. Uh, yeah, very, very um, intellectual. And I used to work for them for uh, freelance. Oh. There was um, a historian wow. and, and political commentator who wrote a book to say, 
America is woke and then trying to export all their ideas and why we shouldn't take them on board because France is promoting universal ideas and they are worthwhile anyhow. So basically he's unaware of everything we discuss now, but he's still sticking to his principle that America is evil, France is doing great, and if Americans were trying to look at us better, they would stop doing their identity politics mm. and they would stop talking about trans right or mixed race people right. And I agree that there might be a, a point where um, intersectionality m might eat itself and, and it's becoming a complicated debate and there are, when people get empowered sometimes, they go too far in some demands and it makes society complicated to live in. But you can't just say, let's ignore everything that happens for 500 years and all love each other and we'll have a profit society. It's a, it's a, it, it is a mad opinion, it's but it is a stupid opinion if you're a journalist or political commentator because you're supposed to know more. Right. And, and this is the problem of the French society. You know, when I was at school, uh, about 15 or t between 10 and 15, we studied history. So we studied like the ancient regime, as we called it, so the royal family. Uh, the French Revolution, uh, the Empire Napoleon, and there's a couple of them, so let's fast forward <laughs> to the Republic that has finally <laughs> stayed on. Uh, two great wars, and then decolonization. Isn't there mm. something missing a tiny bit uh, in that lot? 100% So correct. we never talk about any colonial decisions. And I read these books later on when I was an adult, the same minister that um, signed laws for France to make education mandatory for all children until 16 was the same guy who signed the bills to, to just colonize yeah. Africa. They're the same people that said, we are little kids, we, we should empower people, they should have education. Meanwhile, let's kill these Algerians. And yeah. now that we have Algeria, yeah. the Brits are making progress in Nigeria. We should just, you know, make sure we have a buffer zone there which led to even bigger catastrophe, uh, like Central African Republic, where I spent a few months working for WFP, the World Food Programme, that is a complete disaster of civil war, because it was created as a buffer zone, north of the Congo, south of Chad, west of Sudan, um, that was just basically, the east side was British, the rest was like French, and this was like the middle, the, the Belgians had the Congo, and so it was a mix, ethnic mix that was that just can't live together, right? And the biggest equatorial forest of these days, completely underdeveloped, side, sitting on diamond mines, which is the poorest country in the world. That colonialism also leads us to rethink how we believe that we have a knowledge about wealth and our economies, because everything that we call high GBT, uh, G, sorry, uh, gross domestic product and how we base our economy on, on successful, you know, growth is actually, it's in itself ruled on this appropriation, right? Because the, the richest places in the world, the North American who had gold, the South American with even more gold, the, the forest that we desperately need nowadays to make the planet survive, the mines, the minerals, the rarer elements that are now so precious to make electric cars, all these were in former colonies, and that's one of the main reasons of all this war for powers. If not sometimes simple diplomacy with ridiculous events like the Scramble for Africa and you know the Berlin Conference where the Europeans, super small country, decided to divide Africa along these very straight lines that right. ruined people's life for 200 years, creating wars, and continues. Absolutely. And, and had It'll continue. Continue to ruin, yeah, because they've they just divided and grouped group these tribes together which was disastrous so when the french replied to me uh, there are conflicts in africa that are not based on colonial issues it's absolutely true there were wars in africa before um colonialism and there is a war at the moment in ethiopia but the the impact of colonialism had a ripple effect that has never been seen i think in history it's it's just a deep imbalance and obviously africa chose to not industrialize itself for many reasons. They didn't borrow money, the, the corruptions of certain leaders, but also certain choices that were not making the population uh, better. And also they kind of skipped it to a third, you know, revolution in services. And that's a choice that today is probably saving the planet, mm. but they're paying a heavy price because they're always 
identify as the poor countries, but they're not poor. They just the way the, the wealth is used by some businesses that are all based in the north and the west makes that this country gets no benefit, including Nigeria, the, the country that has some of the most um, the largest oil reserves in in West Africa. Most of the money doesn't go to anyone apart from a couple of Nigerian billionaires on the land, on the soil of Nigeria. It just goes to Shell mm. and other oil companies. So it's not about race and identity politics only. It's, it's, it's really about how, what are our core values? What do we talk about when we talk about growth, democracy, security, uh, right to food? All this is, is based on, 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 you know, spoliation. So... I think at least this this idea should, should deserve to be to be discussed on an international level, and stop being swept under the rug, because it's we cannot go on. It's just um, it's just madness. Super in, in, insightful. I, I was going to bring up a different point, Steve. Did you have anything um, before we kind of move on? Well, I well to to move on. I, I just I, I wanted to point to an article that I read uh, that Melissa had written about. Uh, the recent statements about Macron, about about Algeria not being a country before France got there, and and kind of lighting that fuse back up. I, if, if we could, if you could just discuss that a little bit uh, about the the very current situation. Yes, what happened most recently is like so. Um, while the date of the anniversary of the seventeenth October sixty one was approaching, um, obviously a few observers and the very rare historians that have done some great work to make that story come about, mostly on, on the date and the Algerian war, there's very much less work on colonial times again. That's what we like to, to bury. Because there's always a white saviour that we can, you know, there's always a great guy that saved two people and we write a book about this guy and, you know, that's where we put the attention on. So the few weeks that were um, prior to that event, Emmanuel Macron made a couple of very uh, insulting statements for the Algerian elite. So the two countries have never managed to go over their disputes after the loss uh, of France during the Algerian war, which is, again, if you can reconcile with Germany, and I, as a child, I was taught Germany from the age of 10. I went to Germany to be part of this generation which is a bit ironic thinking that you know my, my entire family is Algerians and and it's mm. I've also written recently a piece about why the language Arabic is so disliked in France and a lot of schools don't want it to be taught at all while they welcome new languages like Chinese and all that so uh, Macron just said yes uh, to, the, to the that the French the Algerian elite was made of uh, uptight, aging, military, undemocratic rulers, and so they should look in their own backyard. They made uh, all these problems in Algeria, and actually, you know, Algeria was colonized by the Turks, and the Algerians are not blaming them. They'd rather blame France, while the French, again, has been so good to the Algerians, um, referring again to the, what previous president had said about the fact that the colonial times has a lot of positive impact which was repeatedly uh, said by many uh, French presidents uh, up until Jacques Chirac. So it's very hard to make progress when you keep on saying, you know, we give you some trains, so you should be happy with this. We didn't colonize. We were welcome. It's the same, it's the same exact thing in America. I think it makes me think of black exceptional, exceptionalism where, you know, you point to a few particular successful black people in the United States, whether they be entertainers, athletes, politicians, Barack Obama was, uh, he, he was met with that a lot. But basically the argument is, well, this person seems to be doing well, or this, this has worked out for you. You got this. So what are you still complaining about? And complain, uh, complain is the worst word to use. What are you still referring to? And it's just like, there's a, there's a lot, yes. there's a lot to point? talk about. And again, what makes this, this the, the issue very complicated is that it's not only about Macron and Barack Obama. All the lines are very complex. Obviously, Barack Obama is American-Kenyan, so he's not descendant of any form of like slavery. So it's a different story for him. Um, and there's, there's always two levels of analysis. People's behavior. No one's saying that the victims are always acting greatly, that you know, black people or Algerian people deserve to be treated as saint or to have even to have reparation there's a strong debate in in england about reparation for slavery which divides the community because you know is this money that we need 
how can you give reparation where most of the black people are mixed anyway? So who, who are you who are you giving to? How do you measure? That's, that's, that could lead to more social problems in, in many ways. But it's about the honesty of the knowledge about what racism created that made our society completely imbalanced and unlivable for, for some people. And when you think of the fact that some of these communities also have very strong links with their family back home, in countries that are heavily impacted by colonialism up to this day, the imbalance is e even higher. So even as a, as a person who are advocating for you know, social peace or abandoning certain issues for the sake of uh, the principle of living together, which is an argument that I, I could hear, it's not working because the structural problems are still there. And the main ones are that the police, whether in France or in the US, are still killing certain groups of people without any justice and not some others and that a white person never find it unbearable like i know people who say uh, about adama traoré a, a young uh, black french um, man who's been killed on his birthday by the police by suffocation that you know he was not he was not such a great dude i think he had done some petty crimes and i'm like and so that's a reason to be killed by the police the, the, the people who are supposed to protect us, how can this even occur to people's mind? That's because of racism and colonialism, because people are so defensive. And sometimes I despair because my own work is a lot about educating people about these issues through journalism or art writing or conferences or books. But I feel that the more they know, the more the people calling themselves white people feel guilty or pressured or insulted and cornered. And the more the respond epidemically as in don't want to hear about it right and so here in England is very strong there's this idea of like the, the, the main response at the moment is like the white working class suffered so much that we should not talk about race we should talk about class issues and so this is the, if we solve class issues we're going to solve racism which is an insane idea you can be again Barack Obama Jay-Z a very famous historian here in Britain and still be a victim of racism you can be upper class have a, um, you know, dozens of houses all over the world. You can be the worst capitalist, <laughs> exploiting a lot of people and still be a victim of racism. So I'm not saying that the class uh, war is useless at all because obviously it's the vast majority. So if we could correct that imbalance, it would in a way, of course, improve the situation for a lot of people of color who are more than 80% of them working class, obviously. But it's still refusing to understand the double standard of our societies, the role of history, because there's a lot of interesting research as well on, on transgenerational trauma. And this is not the sort of things that you can heal by just giving people a check or, again, deciding to move on. There's a lot of countries that have used am amnesty uh, to recover after a war. Did that work really well? Not really. The amount of parallels that are literally topics that we've discovered covered on our show rather through an american lens it's just exactly it sounds like you are speaking about america almost which is really fascinating to me and i think for those who are um invested in social justice in the united states it may be worth just for edification and, and greater understanding to to kind of look at these structures from a, a global lens just to see some of the parallels and consistency from a from a sociological standpoint, I, th I think it'll deepen the understanding and, and help devise a strategy, right? When you were talking, you mentioned uh, Tulsa massacres, right? And those, it's incredibly uh, mirrored by some events in, in Europe. So what happened to Algerians in 61 is, is very similar to the difference that I think the Algerians that were protesting for independence and, and hundreds or two hundreds of them killed by the police that was not even their community where they were protesting. And they, they were very new people there. They had no right at all. While if I understand well in, in Tulsa, there was, there was a, it was actually aggressively, the police came to a place where people were established and actually quite successful. Right. So it's, it was within their own community. They were not even, there was not even an incentive because what the French authority says is like, you know, these Algerians could have been member of the FLN and because the FLN was like the army island, uh, fighting the French in Algeria. They were considered terrorists by the French because Algeria was not a country. It was part of our France. 
So you couldn't be a foreign army, you could only be terrorists. And you understand the mirroring of what's happening in France today, having a couple of terrorism acts right. led by Muslim or Arabs. You know what happened to me in 2013 when there was the attack against Le Bataclan and this area of Paris? You've heard of, of this terrorist attack, I'm sure. On that very same night, I was in the theater and I watched a play. And so when I came out, Paris was like in high alert. There was no transport. It was very chaotic. It was very scary because I couldn't access information. The, the network was like exploded and all that. But I had a call from a friend and I knew what had just happened. I was watching a play that was written by an extraordinary French playwright called Jean-Marie Coltes, Bernard-Marie Coltes, excuse me. And the play is set during the Algerian War in a French village during which a couple of Algerian workers become the targets of French terrorists hating the Arabs. And there was on stage a terrorist attack perpetrated by the French against the local, and that's based on real events. But that's events that are completely buried, never discussed. That happened to me and a hundred a few more people watching that play. I'm pretty sure that the other night had to be cancelled. On the night of a terrorist attack by a Muslim person of a, born in France against French people, how can you deny that there is a direct correlation between the two events? Because all the crimes against uh, colonized people committed, sometimes even on the French soil, why would the uh, French Algerians or pro-French Algerian people need to kill Arabs in the streets of France? That would not protect them from the Algerians getting independence. They were not committing any crime. They were just sweeping their floors. They were their maids. They were underpaid and, and humiliated on a daily basis. But they still killed them with sometimes weapons. How, how can it not have any impact three generations later when the local second-generation immigrants still have absolutely no hope, when people tell on the television every day that if you're a Muslim, you're a proto-terrorist, that you have no space in this country, while your grandparents or your dad, like myself, were forced to go to France. They didn't even ask to come here. And then we couldn't go back because we're from a minority in Algeria and then power became to the Arabs and my dad's cousins right. was killed by the, by the Arabs afterwards. And so it spiraled into tons of problems. But sometimes I feel maybe I shouldn't live in France, you know, take my passport back. Maybe you're right. I'm an educated woman. I earn my own money. I can live somewhere else too bad. And so when I got my job as a lecturer here in England, it would never have happened in France. It's very, very difficult. I know very, very, I know people who grew up in my street who are from Morocco in Algeria. Most of them didn't go to university at all. And the one who did, they did just do a job that they didn't want to do and they're not doing too badly. But, and we didn't grow up in a difficult suburb because my dad was hyper aware. And so the people who grew up in horrible suburbs where I went to, for instance, interview people, some of them don't even finish high school and they, they don't think of themselves as French. I did a documentary about identity and immigration in France. And you have a lot of social workers telling people every day, you are, you're born here, you have the right to think of yourself as French. When I was in Miami and I interviewed Haitian Americans, same story. They said, we're disenfranchised, we cannot vote. Someone excused, accused me of voting some bread 20 years ago, so I've lost my right to vote. Yeah. Yeah, now, now we're, now we're kind of touching on the whole prison industrial complex that's going on in the, in the United States and, and the disenfranchisement and really the relegation to second-class citizenship through the term criminal, which is a very loaded label historically right the the parallels are just so consistent like even even though we we did prep and like i, I kind of had an idea of where this conversation was going to go I'm, I'm just very mind blown by all of this you know in terms of, we, we like to provide our listeners with takeaways we'll be right back This is John and Mark Cronin from John's, John's Crazy, Crazy Socks. And we're interrupting to say we hope you're enjoying this episode. But please make sure to check out our show, The Spreading Happiness Podcast, another great show produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. 
New episodes are available every week on all your favorite podcast platforms. Join us on our new podcast as we continue our mission, Spreading Happiness. Thank you, folks. You're listening to Discriminology with your hosts, Malik Silal, Steve Kramer, and Sidney Penn. I'll just say for me, like, I, I really want to spend some additional time and do some more research on some of these sociological happenings in other countries and, and to, to look for these parallels and commonalities. And we could look to Britain as well, because talking about the Tulsa massacre, it made me think of the New Cross fire that happened in 1981 in London. New Cross is in South London. There was a party there. Uh, teenagers were celebrating a birthday and uh, someone attacked the flat because they were only black people, uh, so Caribbean British people, with a cocktail Molotov and a, a big blaze occurred and most of them died. And there was almost no prosecution. It's just got lost in time. And uh, Steve McQueen, the famous filmmaker, did a documentary for the BBC about it recently, which is an event that happened 40 years away. And it, it, it took all that time to be mentioned in the news. And if Steve, Steve McQueen had done the documentary, I'd, I'm not even sure that The Guardian and other newspapers would have mentioned the, the, the date. So exactly the same situation as um, the massacre in Al of Algerians in 61, so 20 years prior. It's very near us. It means that all people affected by these events had a parent that was that was colonized that was you know in Jamaica when when Britain was still there in America you know I have a friend who's a writer and he's half British half American African-American his dad was an African-American musician and he said his grandma was still a slave in the southern states when she was little his grandmother so it's so close to us all these events. My granddad was killed when, um, what, 50 years before I was born. It's, it's almost like crazy. You look like, how can you, you know, it's like my dad had me really, really late because he had a very difficult life and he was not making any money and he got lucky with a change of job and then he decided to, to have children. But so all these crimes are related in your sort of like family sort of trauma and referencing and, and in France it's it's so difficult to talk about them uh, most of the time when I open my mouth even if I'm down the flight from Central African Republic before I can start sharing anything my people I know a journalist would start by saying you didn't have it so bad look at you you did study in a good university don't blame France it was a long time ago you're going to I know what you're going to say that Central African Republic was messed up by colonialism They've been independent for so and so. They should do better for themselves. And this is just a reflection of, again, the same privileged people. They don't want to make the effort of gaining knowledge while you telling me I need to get more knowledge. Well, you're probably traumatized by it. You're living in that little pond of horrible facts that are not making your day brighter. You know, it's, it's just a difficult thing to cope with. But it's the people who are already already impacted by them that have to cope with the efforts of educating others and I find that really unfair as well because that's what I call white privilege it's not about skin it's about I can live without knowing that my life is not going to be impacted it's not going to bring any bad luck for me so why would I make this effort and in France it's a massive theory all my friends who are French French as I call them they say move on forget about it do yoga of course do yoga yeah, we're all equals. It's in the mind of black people. They think like victim. Victim they, mindset, yeah. Yeah, because they are privileged middle class people who don't need to deal with it. So why would they? I know you love James Baldwin. So I, I wanted to, uh, a quote that's pretty fitting for what you just said is, um, obviously this is him speaking about America, but he lives in Paris too. To be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all the time. So I, I think that kind of like captures well uh, what you were just referring to in terms of having that privilege and ignorance is bliss versus if you're a part of the oppressed group, you're almost gaslit because you're, you, the more you learn, you, you become even more upset about what's transpired relative to your, to your group from a historical lens. And then you try to share that information and educate other people 
um, and you're met with kind of gaslight, gaslighting remarks as in, you know, get over it, let it go. From people that really have less understanding historically and less of a historical perspective than you do. So it's, it just creates this like internal insanity almost. Yes, exactly. For me, it's very, very difficult because again, I live in the UK where most people don't even know Algeria exists, to be fair. You know, they, they're not very big in history here. Um, especially outside of the British Empire, because the British Empire was already half of the world, so that, that's a lot to deal with. And um, so they, I received that a lot. Like, if you can pass this French, you know, just do it. Like, like, like you're, it's just a, a simple click, a decision, and then all your problems will disappear with you. It's not true at all. And then, of course, there's all the, French background that refused to listen and then there's I've got this accumulated knowledge that is basically lost in translation because every time I try to publish about it I get publishers you know frightened or there's always a good reason it's not academic enough which is too academic etc <laughs> etc et so you feel like why are we doing this for you make your life more difficult and and uh, the progress are extremely slow. Then obviously I feel a lot for people here. It's a big thing in the UK. I call themselves mixed race. Like for me, it's a very insulting word because first there's no race and we all mixed in some level, but you know, it says what it says. And it's it can be a traumatic experience to educate themselves on African history, African colonial history, black history. Um, and to, to, to grow up as a white kid, with your white family and then to to learn about all this where you haven't kind of related with it when you were younger and suddenly feeling completely anchored on that side but still having your white privilege around because you grew up in middle class family with a big house so you're not really like it's not like you're impacted it's not like the level of racism in in England would not affect you because it's mostly for people who are deprived so what do you do with this? You know, how do you, because sometimes it's even unfair for other people who just arrive or who are darker or who live in poverty to just say, hey, I'm a victim. Well, actually, you could, you could just pass as, you could just use your privilege, economic privilege and move on. So it's a tough decision. Um, but I, for me, I think it's a collective narrative that is interesting. It's where we can maybe suffer less if it was less of an individual especially as a person who don't who believes that individualism has been way too far and we've not we've lost uh, our identity as citizens into an identity as consumers yes so if we could i think for me the the only thing i aim for is reconciliation progress social change so i think if we could and I'm not talking again 100% of people because who's going to read everything I read? I mean, I'm not completely delusional. It's 2021. <laughs> uh, people that are on Twitter. I could start doing memes about this. Some people have suggested. Or, t or Twitter threads. People like Twitter threads. Yes. I'm, I'm a lot on Twitter. So if I have any recommendation on how to make that, we'll do that with the podcast, firstly. And we'll retweet you. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a, it's a global idea. So if we could all... And I know a few people who are not colonized indigenous people who are not under underprivileged or deprived who are very open to talk about it but again they have a switch they can switch it off and go to glasgow talk about the climate change and then go on holidays the following week and they don't have nightmares at night for colonial trauma they don't have members of their family who's been killed in a horrible uh, unfair war because what my again my french friend always will play but we, we've all been to world war one and world war two what more do you want but there's, again, there's a distinction between a stupid, uh, completely ingrained human behaviors like, uh, you know, France and Germany, stupid competition for so long and the abuse of one people by another for so long. It's just like people who say domestic violence isn't a thing, who says basically that woman deserved it. She was not a great wife. She was beaten up to death. Right. It's just a causal situation. She did this. She got that back. It's exactly the same. And I know there's still a lot of them there. And again, I don't, I don't know for the US, but in the UK, we have a huge problem recently about uh, crimes against women. And it's tremendous. It's we have just awful. tremendous issues with domestic violence and just patriarchy overall. But that that is... Um, <laughs> yeah, we could that, stay here for a yeah, long time a, if we that's start a whole, That's a whole other uh, podcast. Yes, absolutely. 
I think I think one of the one of the great things that that we've discovered over the last couple of years is that although our causes um, and all the people that we've had on our podcast, our causes are not always uh, the same, and we come from very different backgrounds. We've we've forged so many allies from so many different places that are suffering these kinds of traumas and these kinds of these kinds of difficulties. That I think the more that these connections are made and the more that we continue to promote each other's messages that I, I, I think the more of a difference that, that we'll be able to make, especially um, someone with your credentials and someone with your experience. It's, uh, it's, it's really amazing. It's really amazing to listen to you. It's really amazing to listen to, to your, your depth of knowledge and your, and your experiences and just being so, um, so to the point and getting right to the heart of things in in such an understandable manner i think that that's going to help I, and i think the work you're doing is amazing i really do if, if i could ask you just just one more question um so i read recently that that macron is putting together a commission um and uh let me make sure i say the historian's name it was benjamin Stora. do you have any do you have any knowledge of this person or any knowledge of this commission Absolutely. I have a lot of knowledge about this because it set it up a few... Actually, when he came into power, he promised to uh, improve the relations with Algeria and he set up mm-hmm. that commission. And Benjamin Stoa was my teacher. Ah. <laughs> oh, it's I did not know that. For a while. Ah. Um, he's a great historian and he's, he's done amazing work to uh, improve the situation. But his work, again, focuses a lot on um, memorial work. So how we remember the past, how we deal with history, and where we are mm. post-war. So his, his work is about the Algerian war and what happens earlier. I think where the French average person, and even more, the, and that's where my sadness really grows deep, is like the poorest second-generation immigrants are the, probably the ones who have the less access to knowledge that, that directly impact them. Mm. And and what is not out there is uh, all the colonial crimes. And I understand it's hard to read. So again, when I, w- I worked on this program for HBO uh, that is called Exterminate All the Brutes, I did all the early research before it was scripted, reading all these books about colonial history. Uh, it's not something that I would recommend to children, you know. But before going deep into crimes themselves, just the general landscape that we, we grow around when was Algeria invaded by the French, why it was different by other migration around the globe, what is the scramble for Africa, what is the Berlin Conference when the borders were drove, what was the power of people like um, the Germans building their own empire, trying to stand up to the British Empire, because you have to remember that the royal families were the same family. You know, Victoria was a cousin of uh, Willem, so they kind of had this in- incentive to split the whole continent, sometimes for petty, egotistic reasons, really, right. and economic reason. So if we could just have a, a greater overview on that, it would be much m- more useful. But what is really sad, going back to Macron, is that, yes, he made that promise. He set up that commission. The result of the commission has been quite divisive. Uh, a lot of people find it too progressive a lot of people find it too aggressive but in general it's way not enough right and again it's mostly focusing on how the french respond to the events so all the french communities that were impacted the french who were in algeria and had to come back to france the the, the son of the french soldiers the french soldiers in particular who lived a terrible time they were sent to algeria to kill people that's horrible but there's never sometimes even any mention of the fact that they killed humans who were just the framing is focused on the wrong group. For me, the framing is, is, is completely insulting and that's that's the problem. So that's why I will never blame someone like Benjamin Stoa. He did an amazing job. He uh, has worked with a migration museum. He, he's been in the media. He's written wonderful work. He's helped younger people get into historical studies. He made an incredible change. He's himself, was, his parents were uh, Jewish uh, French settlers or probably local Jewish people who, who became French, as I mentioned earlier. So instead of being as biased as the other, I really try to have an overview on the relations and always to try to uh, promote reconciliation, which is a difficult thing to do because sometimes it's Algeria also being um, not 
not accepting a hand coming from France, I, I must uh, admit. But, you know, again, the imbalance is so ridiculous. So a lot of historians have been mad at me when I spoke on NPR a month ago because I said, um, young people don't read these history books. They're not aware of uh, colonial history and they've done such hard work to make it happen. And, and they have, but excuse me, historians write for academics. Um, it's complicated language. It's not publicized widely. It's not in the media. So the question I was asked is, do you think that local poor Arab people are aware of this history? My answer was like, obviously not. Right. It took me so much work to be aware of my own family history going through the silence the education system that would hide things the environment where you're pressured to conform to be to act as white etc etc to moving to other countries moving to the u.s moving to africa frankly without that it would never have happened so what can i say i said to every french kid that they should go to da 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 (laughs) to have their own experience of a different narrative they have to speak another language is it gonna happen Maybe in a hundred years. I don't. I don't think soon enough. So I. I hope that the elite and especially intellectuals, I'm a bit more demanding of them because you know we have an election next year and there's like four far right candidate and no left at all. Are we supposed to be happy with that? Right. The racist narrative is every day, morning, evening on television. I'm not even asking for a progressive situation in France. I'm just. Can we give us a break? Can we can you still go back to the idea that racism is is wrong? And it shouldn't be we shouldn't accuse people of great replacement. We should just first accuse the police of killing black and, and brown people. Right. Can we just go back to the basics, right? And I'll I'll just happily be able to move back to my homeland, but I don't think that will happen in my lifetime. I think I'm gonna migrate up until, you know, like a drifted continent. <laughs> Kind of like James, than England. Kind of like James Baldwin, almost, right? Yeah, <laughs> almost. It, it was impossible in his time to be a happy African American black man. So I think it's impossible in my time to be a happy French Algerian woman. A woman is obviously a huge part of the problem, especially um, a French Algerian woman who knows as much as you know. Yes, and again, I I, I tweeted about this this morning saying. My dad worked so hard for me not to know this, and my sister is mostly ignorant about this. When I worked on the film on Karl Marx, she said, oh, I don't want to see that, you know, because she, she, she's a doctor, she works really hard, she doesn't want to be bothered with politics. So mm-hmm. she doesn't want to go back to Algeria, she's just forgetting about it. And um, sometimes, I, as you said, I feel, feel, yeah, ignorance is bliss. She's worse in the hospital every day. She can't do both. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that too from some of my other uh, friends, colleagues, um, people I, I kind of went to school with that are intellectuals in their own right, but not necessarily in a sociological or political sense. And yeah, their position is just like, I, I can only think about so much. So I, I, I've definitely heard that position too. But M- Melissa, wanted to, um, I wanted to really thank you for taking the time to come on and really expose us to a much wider perspective of some of the issues that we've covered on this podcast for over a year now. Before we close out, I I wanted to ask you, um, because we always do this for our listeners, and you kind of referenced a a bunch of readings and and documentaries, films, etc. What are some recommended materials that our listeners can kind of dive into this deeper? I I know you kind of speak to the fact that uh, some of this material is not necessarily digestible for a lot of people. Yes. But there's a lot of people we haven't mentioned, and I guess the first and foremost would be Frantz Fanon, right? Um, the work of Frantz Fanon is so defining. And so he, just to summarize, he was born in Martinique. He's, he's a Caribbean French man who became a doctor, a psychiatrist. And because of racism in France in the 50s, he couldn't find a job. And he was posted in Algeria, in Blida. And I've been there, I visited the hospital where he worked in the 50s. And then he joined the uh, Algerian rebellion. And he wrote uh, incredible books, including uh, Black Skin, White Mask, about racism in France in the 50s, where, again, you read that, you feel like, oh, my God, it was before Baldwin, and it looks like it's America, but it's France, um, post-war. And The Wretch of the Earth, which is a difficult book that is mostly about the Algerian situation pre and during war but is actually as the title means a representation of colonialism i think algeria is a really interesting case 
to understand the evil roots of, of um, colonialism. And it's not just about going there, stealing a bit of gold, leaving, letting them run their, their way and then clapping because we've left the railways, which is the basic definition of colonialism in modern times in the West. So there's France Fanon, firstly. Then, of course, my problem is that I like to empower people. I like to give them a bit of hope. So when, when something's too hard, even Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz in her book about indigenous history of America, she, she ends up on all the community gathering, relearning the local native language and, and fighting for their rights. Their, their, and it's quite a positive ending despite all the catastrophes. So that's actually why I wrote a book about Bristol music scene. So you mentioned at the beginning. Um, Bristol is a small city where I'm based now, but there was in the 80s an interesting mix between Jamaican immigrants and other immigrants that gave that music trip hop. And these people have produced a few albums and they have been very, very politically aware and they've used their stage to inform against the war in Iraq, uh, against um, the colonialism that still exists for the rights of Palestinians. And recently, you may know that the a crowd toppled the Correct. statue of a slaver named Edward Coulson last, last year in June. So that, that's, this, again, it's a very small city. Uh, as this history that just encapsulates 500 years of, of history worldwide. Um, other than that, there, there's been some great work by, obviously, Steve McQueen recently. I, I believe in the power of cinema. So I've seen a wonderful film also by Rebecca Hall, Passing, the story of a woman who um, passed, as we, as we, there's no other word, right? As wide because she can and, and how it impacts her and how difficult it is for, for the loss of community. And it's, um, it's, a, it's a beautiful, touching film that is not about violence. I interviewed last year a, a woman who's a teacher and she said, all my little black kids in school, she's, she's black herself, they, when she teaches history, they come to her and they say, miss, I don't want to be black. It's too hard. It's, it's awful. So we must also create beautiful love stories. Uh, if um, the film about Beale Street, you know, the, the adaptation of James Baldwin, if Beale Street could speak, is about what you mentioned, you know, prison and how it destroys a, bl a young black man's life. But the characters have, have got so much depth. They're in love. They're great parents. They are jealous neighbors. They, right. They're not only the victims, right? In the sense that Moonlight, for me, is also a wonderful film. It's, uh, it's a complete identity as opposed to just exactly. framing the oppressed experience exactly. through the so hopefully we can we can move towards that for me it was really important to write about musicians like tricky you may have heard of him and if you want to play a track you can you can look for that sort of music trip hop who's um a caribbean british and and, and you know he's become a, a worldwide no star and his, his music is still adored all over the world so musicians and some sport people have have the success story but as you said you know it's it's also it depends what's the message someone like you know beyonce and jay-z they promote wealth to to create community that is stronger and i can fight back against the wealthy wasp but artists here in bristol had had a, a different uh, ethics about it, it's not about beating the masters with its own rules it's about finding your way being happy um, respecting roots that had traditional values and spirituality in them that is just you know bigger than all the, the harm that was done that's about reconciliation it's about not being seen only for your color so, so that's the message that's important to me i actually wrote a novel about this um there's a story of uh, a young woman whose father is african and she's never met her and her mom is french and and she discovered She's, she wants to become a translator and she does a PhD on American literature and so she, she reads the great Philip Roth. And this, this is a book you wrote? This is a book I wrote, but no one wanted to publish it because they said nothing's happening and I'm like, well, there's a, you know, a lot happening, but it's not, she's not, you know, getting divorced or killing anybody, but there's a lot of other things happening. It's a book I wrote because I was trying to, to reflect on all these ideas and I've written it in French, rewrote re it in English, but still I... I haven't managed to publish it, but the idea was like to see it through the eyes of someone who's not only angry, who still has friends who call themselves white and are unaware, and how do you deal with that? 
because it's not about, you know, here in England, we have a lot of divisions. We have an acronym that is BME for Black, Asian and Minority Ethnics. And a few people advocates for just talking about the B or just talking about the A. And that reflects to what you said, Steve, that I believe we should all, you know, we're still minority in the West. So if we divide in smaller groups where even the brown Indians wouldn't speak to the brown Pakistanis, we're never going to make any progress. The strength right. of this story is that it's everyone's story against a few oppressors and, and, the, and the great replacement. They are the ones. And now we live in a world where the narrative is like billionaires with uh, spaceships are going right. to save the planet. So, you know, we've, we've completely lost the plot, right? If it's, again, if it's the, the biggest exploiters have become our biggest saviors, and it works as well on a small level here. There's a, a couple of little millionaires who have solutions for climate change. I'm like, this is not going to be the yeah. solution. We need a collectivity. We need to, to, to belong to each other. We need to make decisions. We need public services. We need, you know, it's not by having a couple of saviors who are always, always the same time of, of saviors, right? It's never a black woman. It's it's, it's always a white businessman. Right. We've tried that before. I'm really sorry, and I don't think that I don't think that even if they had, it also cre it also created the situation from the historical context. Exactly. You know, like colonialism and capitalism, expecting kind of products of that to save or rectify the situation yes. when that's really the derivative cause is an interesting position to say the least. Yes, but again, now it's you have all this noisy, fake Instagram and Twitter account that says we are woke, we are crazy, we're dis destroying the social fabric. Um, what is there apart from capitalism? It's the rule of life. Again, it's based on ignorance when there's been so many civilizations building extraordinary. All the places that these white tourists go to see abroad have been made before capitalism. And um, and when you see when right. you see the architecture brutalism in the rest of England in the Midlands, you you know why they want to go on holidays in Greece and Italy. But the same people tell you there's there's nothing else in capitalism. It's, it's the best way to live. You know, have twenty million pairs of shoes because that that's happiness. I would say this is one of my favorite interviews. Hundred percent. Oh, I'm so touched because I feel so silence and unlisten to on a daily basis even though I'm, I'm a lecturer and a journalist it's just it's just such a not welcome um discussion no we could i i could go on another couple of hours this has been amazing thanks for tuning into the show discriminology is brought to you by launchpad 516 studios executive produced by George Andriopoulos. Our theme song, Wild Ones, is licensed through Twano Beats LLC. Other music and sound effects licensed through Epidemic Sound. Discriminology is hosted with Podbean. Make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it. Follow us at discriminology underscore podcast on Instagram, at discriminology3 on Facebook and Twitter. Make sure to follow all the great podcasts produced by Launchpad 516 Studios.